Good morning. How are you? What's going on? Um, I had the extreme pleasure of actually going to a pub on the weekend. It was great. Birthday celebrations. A select group of people. It was fucking weird and we still had all these rules in place and I had two extra people come along and then we had to like change spaces and get told to sit down. You can, you can sit next to each other but you can't stand and talk next to each other. Anyways, this is the times that we live in. Um, let's get on to more important things. My guest today is... There's, there's, there's a whole lot to say about this guy. Um, but let me just start by saying what an absolute fucking legend. And I'm so, 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 so stoked that he could come down and, and, and spend the time with me. Um, yeah, just an incredible human being. And we really really had a, a sort of in the brief time that we got to chat it got i felt it was very very connective um you know sometimes it can be a bit you're sort of skimming along the surface before you find a little pocket where you can when you can dive in certainly from my perspective with with um talking to people i don't know with hardly any prep or what have you uh, which is like which is how i run it anyways um i want to discover like on the spot um but w we were right out of the gate into it and i attribute that a lot to just just very similar people in terms of um no holding back no real filter really transparent um that that's a really good way to to, to sum up my guest today is very transparent and giving with his time and knowledge um scottness smith is my guest today uh he's a filmmaker out of south africa but he is back here in Melbourne. Um, his wife is Australian. And so we get a little bit into his uh, and his family's exodus out of, out of South Africa just in the nick of time to get back before, you know, that whole big shit show that we, we were all part of eight weeks ago. Eight weeks ago? Maybe even more. Maybe about ten weeks ago. Mm, yeah, something like that. You forget, right, you, how quickly we accustom ourselves to what the fuck is going on. Now... We get into a whole bunch of stuff and we go on some great little tangents in this this um, little bit shorter than usual conversation. Um, but one of the, for, for selfish reasons, I'm not, I'm not going to be uh, backwards about that. One of the things that was really great about this podcast is, and, and what this podcast is about, hopefully people are starting to get the message that it's not only about conversations, it's about potential collaborations, whether they be happening in the podcast or indirectly people hear and listen and contact guests and, and what have you but today i had a real um, motive for, for for getting scottness onto the podcast and and anthony sharp my good friend who you've seen on the podcast a couple of times now um, put us in contact with each other for that very reason um being that scottness is a filmmaker in south africa um and you all know that I talk about my film, which is set in South Africa, The Park. And so I pulled Scottness aside and said, look, this is what I would like to do on the podcast. Um, I would like to actually pitch you on a film during the podcast. If you feel that you are straight enough and open enough to that and and um, can be bothered, is another big one because, you know, um, you might not be in the space for it. Then I think that that would be really great viewing and listening because that's what this podcast is all about. But but if not, Scottness, let's just talk about it later. 
and we'll just crack on. It's like, nah, let's do it. So I had the the real honor and pleasure of of um, presenting a pitch deck, which actually Anthony Sharp put together for me, um, with all the visuals and the the log lines and the synopsis and the breakdown to him during the podcast. So if you want to see how that went, then you got to hit play. And um, thanks very much for listening. <laughs> I really appreciate you coming down. Um, Anthony speaks very highly of you and, um, yeah, thank you. Sure. It's great to be here, man. Yeah, man. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. So you must have just got back here in the nick of time. Did you like? Yeah. So it was funny. It was super funny. I was on the biggest job of my life, um, brought, brought my whole family over. <laughs> And it was a fantastic, fantastic, but learning opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, challenging as all hell. And whereabouts? This was in Cape Town. Cape Town, Cape Town yeah. right. So it's great. I'm doing this big thing that I can't really talk too much about, except to say that, oh my God. It was a big step. It was yeah. a big, big step, right? And um, and so around December, my partner tells me, she's like, yo, um, there's this thing happening in China. They're shutting down the international travel for China. And I was like, babe, you and I both know that's a big step for China. Yeah. China doesn't mess around when it comes to their money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, uh, but read as, the writing. Yep. Yeah. But I was like, as for me, I just can't think about that right now. Yeah. I've got this thing to do. Yeah, I got to keep going. Yeah. So, you know, flash fast forward to a couple of um, two months later, two months, whatever it is. Uh, and the producer steps in onto set and calls a big meeting on Monday. I'd been in uh, post-production. Um, I'd finished my block or part of, you know, two thirds of my block and I'd been in post-production and had one day to shoot before I continued on with post, right? There mm-hmm. were a couple of directors in this job. <laughs> and the producer calls a meeting. It's my first day back and it's a hustle. The crew is all exceptionally tired. They've been dealing with another director and his energy. And then I come in with mine and they're like, oh, Scott, we're not so sure about all of you and all, all that you're mm-hmm. bringing. The producer st- steps in to set <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, uh, listen, guys. So as you may well be aware, the there's this, you know, virus that's a pandemic mm-hmm. and it's monday today but on friday we're shutting down the production um and it's going into complete hiatus Fuck. and uh yeah so i mean i had two thoughts running through my mind at the, at, the, at that time you know the one was we were all standing pretty close together so, so like, we're all fucked anyways can, yeah, yeah. can we all just give it a little bit of space right uh, but the second thought for <clears> me was well you know i've got my family here and my partner's australian our child is australian they don't have their south african papers as mm-hmm. yet right we've got a limited amount of time mm-hmm. that we can easily all be here in south africa um and so we called our flight agency or you know our flight um company and we're like yo can we move our tickets forward and they were like yeah sure no problem right they moved it forward um and then there was an announcement by the president we went on to to johannesburg where i was attending my sister's wedding and as we arrive back in Cape Town, we switch on the radio randomly. We never do that. Mm-hmm. And then there's this announcement by the president to say, well, look, it's a state of emergency, a state of crisis, and the country is shutting down. And the implication for that was that our ticket, tickets were outside of the time. Oh. So we had to make arrangements to buy additional tickets. Um, right. 
and get out. And we were literally on the last flight out of out of South Africa. So our Fuck. flight was at 10 p.m. And the lockdown was instituted from 12. And when we arrived at the airport, there were all these like messages on the board saying flight, dena- flight uh, delayed, delayed or, and this was a pearl, flight de- delayed indefinitely. <laughs> so we're like, just, just cancel it. Yeah. You know? They're like, no, we're not canceling it. It's delayed. Just string you on for a little yeah. glimmer of hope. So th- that basically means like you can do with whatever you want with that information. You can stay here. You can go home, but really it doesn't matter. Pricks. The flight. Yeah. yeah. Whatever. Yeah. yeah so yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Interesting times. Um, yeah, right. So where are you at with that then? I mean, I, I guess if you made it out and, and the project is there and they don't foresee them opening up flights for however long, I mean, is it? It's interesting times. Yeah. yeah these Get are on like, a ship. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, the, actually, funnily enough, yeah. I used to work at sea um, on ships no and I sailed from Cape Town to Albany in, in Australia. Wow, Albany, that's down in Western Australia, right? Yeah, southwest. Oh, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. Two that's and a half amazing. weeks. And that's it's not like, that bad, right? It's not that, yeah, 13 knots flat is that, out. Is that going with the current or is the current just, like, how, do, how does it affect, like, if you went the other way, if I had to go from Albany to Cape Town and I'm seriously thinking about that, <laughs> um, how long it, does it take? It, it, look, it depends, you know, most, most if you were doing it on a, a cruise liner or something like that, they probably do 20 knots, Okay, you know, but I'm on a, um, on a, a oil, and, oil and gas oh. um, support vessel, which, I mean, twelve knots is actually pushing it. Wow. You're probably closer to nine or ten. Wow! Um, but it's around the clock, obviously. And oh. <clears throat> I don't know what the currents are like, but currents do pay play a big, you know, part of it. You, if you looked at your vessel from from bird's eye view, a lot of the time it's moving forward like this, mm-hmm. you know, with enough momentum to fight the current, but also push it forward. It's never normally just cutting through mm. in a straight line. Oh, I you get see you. planes come in and they do that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, to, yeah, yeah. Same same deal. It's funny you say that, man. In Cape Town to Albany, I've got this mad passion and it was part of the thing that I was going to do after this job finished, um, which is motorcycles right. and to travel from Cape Town to Cairo. That was my big present to myself. Oh, wow. I was like, Scott, <laughs> you've done this job. It's been really great. And now while you know, all the circumstances are right, let's do what you've always wanted to do. Let's get on a bike and let's go up to, to the, see the rest of the continent and go up to Cairo. Uh, and then, you know, Corona. So, so maybe your idea of you know maybe your idea of sea travel is sea the next travel, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least yeah. you won't come across anyone. <laughs> well, you hope not. Otherwise, you know, pirates and stuff. Yeah, you know what? Those waters are actually there's nothing happening down there. Okay. Yeah, it's Somalia. Obviously, is a fucking nightmare. That's right. And the um, Singapore Straits oh, through really? there in Jakarta, and that can be can be pretty bad. Somalia is the fucking epicenter, though. Mm-hmm. But through there, there's nothing happening. Okay. It's That's just all, yeah. it's That's fucking all good. I, we didn't see anyone or really? anything for the whole time is it confronting and i don't mean to take you off track but is no. being out there alone on the water no oh, really? some people some people yeah you get definitely get a lot of seafarers come through and even though they've been at sea for years um when when you hit those kind of pockets um if they've got anything that go that's going on at home or uh-huh Whatever can fuck them up. Yeah, right. I had a good friend of mine who I convinced to go to sea and his first trip at sea because he was a cadet was three months. Wow. And he was fucked. He wanted off within a week. Oh, wow. So, excuse me. um, But I've actually, it's funny you say that because through this whole thing and I I don't mean to give anyone 
who's suffering from depression or bipolar or spray. Uh-huh. But if you've got a good deal and you've been bitching and moaning about isolation, uh-huh. it's shut the fuck up. <laughs> it, because honestly, really, you know what I mean? mean? You know, you've got so much to do. I'm right. bored and I, whatever. But 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 my time at sea definitely. I think I don't think I would be stressed out about lockdown, but I do attribute being in a cabin because I wasn't very part of the gang okay, at yeah. sea. Yeah, you know, I, I was like you. a bunch of racist, homophobic, right. ex-cons, you right. know what I mean? Right, right, right. And, and I'm this like little art dude in his cabin drawing and painting and whatever. Yeah, yeah. So I was always the outsider. So I would be in my cabin all the time uh-huh. for five, six, seven weeks. So, wow. And it's like you know, a quarter of the size of this room. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> it's funny you're talking about, um, about mental health. I just, so I got challenged on socials. And oh, did you? Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I got challenged on socials and um, it's the 25-day the twenty push-up challenge. 25 oh, push-ups, 25 days. Oh, that kind days. of challenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. okay, yeah. Um, <clears throat> and it's from in support of mental health and, you know, PTSD, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera and suicide. And it's weird. It's really weird how doing anything and committing yourself to a, like, this is the end time is tricky because as soon as you start, you get, you know, both positive and supporters and you get naysayers. And the supporters are all like, yeah, go on, do your thing. It's good, which is cool. And that's mm. talking about, you know, mental health. But the naysayers are like, oh, no, your push-ups aren't low enough. And I was talking about this, oh, with, I was talking about this it, with Anthony. Everyone's an Arnie critic. Like, <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I was like, dog, it's really not about how low my push-ups are. It's about yeah, it's mental health. it's the intent. It's about the intent, yeah. you know. And I guess, like, I mean, for me, and we're talking about, you know, journeys. Um, but for me, it's so interesting how when you've got your head set on, like, a target, that's my goal. I'm, I'm reaching out to that point. There's going to be, you know, exactly, you know, some some supporters who are like, yeah, go on, dog, you, you're doing it. And they're going to be, be people who are going to cut you down. They're going to mm. just, they're going to do it in such a flippant, offhand and casual way that they, you, they don't realize how deep they might have cut you. Whereas for you, you're like, man, actually, this dream, this objective, this destination I have in mind is so important to me that your little offhand comment really shakes me. Mm. You know what I mean? And I think that's it's such a... It's such an important lesson for me in how to keep on track. Right. You know what I mean? Just keep on going uh, until it doesn't suit you anymore. Mm. But let that impulse come from within as 100%. opposed to have people coming coming at you. Yeah, fuck those guys. Do you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> I, I learned a valuable lesson years ago and I don't know if anyone – it's, it's not as commonly known as it should be mm. that, that we all actually have – in a sane mind, of course, um, emotional choice. Oh. So when you say, and 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 I like I, I have experienced, uh, you know, my own. Um, it took me fucking twenty five years to get the courage to act. Oh, right? so really? So I get it when right. when you know people are going, I you know, you wouldn't be any good at that, or yeah. get a real job and all that kind of yeah. stuff. This is something that I've only just fucking wrapped my fist around in in later life but you have emotional choice so when a naysayer um some prick in his fucking you know keyboard warrior key, in the dark <laughs> at his mum's house you know who's right. not doing any of the things that he wishes he could do or she um you don't you can make a choice to just not feel cut because they hold no weight mm-hmm. you know what i mean that mm-hmm. there's i try to to, to narrow down 
the the opinions that matter. Does that make sense? So there's only a couple of people still left in this world that if they said, that was rubbish, dude, uh, I still wouldn't feel cut, but it would get me. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? And that would be uh, like my acting coach, the first person who ever taught me, if we talk about art, uh-huh. if he said, Josh, mate, I don't know about this acting thing for you like anymore, you know, uh-huh. I would be like, oh, that, uh-huh. but no one else could really get through to me like that, you know, because I understand that I can make a choice on a biological level to talk to my brain and tell it to keep up the dopamine levels as opposed to letting the cortisol rise and fear set in. I have a choice and I never knew that before. So if I was like at sea and a girlfriend was fucking driving me nuts, I would dive into that, man, and I would not eat for a week and I'd be fucking crying my eyes out every day. And I had a life coach who said, you don't have to choose to do that. Do you mm-hmm. know that? Mm-hmm. You can choose to just go, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Bye-bye. And go exercise and eat food and be uh, happy. You can yeah. choose to be happy. It's not just something that is washed over you and you 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 reach out and grab it. You can make it happen within. That's crazy. You know, it's, it's funny, you know. We're having a great chat. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad, man. This is good. Yeah. Uh, but it's funny you talk about choice, you know. Um, so a couple of years ago, I was in a in a workshop and the facilitator was like, we're talking about conflict resolution. And she was like, the person with the most flexibility in a negotiation wins, right? Totally. So if you've got, if you've got the space <clears throat> to kind of, you know, figure out more space for yourself in the, in the, in the, in the negotiation, you win. And there's a piece of, of biblical scripture that really talks to me. And it says, all things work together for good for them that love the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. And then in my conception, <clears throat> what that means is all things work together, meaning everything in existence works together for them that love the, love the Lord or, the, or God or the creator. For me, the creator or creation is the act of making stuff, of possibility, mm-hmm. right? And the way I understand that piece of scripture is that if I choose creation over just like, oh no, the small little view that's limiting and negative, then I've got access to everything. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I am the most flexible mm-hmm. in the negotiation with the world out there. Yeah. Because I'm like, yo man, actually, um, no, I can I can think about this different. And I saw it play out actually, you know what you're talking about mm-hmm. in that documentary, uh, The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan thing, right? So good. So good, right? But I think what, what was so powerful, and it's the same thing that Kobe did with Mamba Magic, what's so powerful is he was like, yo, actually, I'm going to choose how I think about whatever it is that's happened, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is what you're talking about. Yeah, 100%. He was so dialed in to what is only now becoming a little bit of common knowledge, and that is what I was just talking about. He was so fucking dialed into how much control he had over what was happening in his brain. Um, wow. you, like that was I, in the way that he's, he, he spoke about um, just like he, he's already at the peak and then, oh, this guy said this to me. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> now I'm going to choose to be even better that's exactly again right. and again it's exactly. not like it's not like well i just got to keep going no. he's like oh oh okay yep. you know and then and what and what's great is how he kind of he made it a game yeah so he he was he right? was in a, he was a game within a game yeah right? yeah 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 so yeah. you know whatever whatever was going on on the court was one thing but he was like actually i'm playing against myself yeah and i'm choosing what my particular you know 
way to view the situation is right yes, now. Yes, it was an, an incredibly premeditated um, plan that he had for being great. Right. Um, just noticed you, Jordans. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I did that intentionally. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, fuck, I, I, I almost want to watch it again, you know. Yeah. I'm like sad that it finished. I was a massive Jordan fan as a kid. Um, oh, were you? That's cool. Yeah, and it's funny and I'll, I'll sort of nip this one real quick, but, you know, how old are you? you must- I'm 35 or 36 this year. Cool. So you remember um, pre, pre-internet pre days. Yeah. Was that even a thing? Yeah. Or was it like a collective imagination? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fucking strange. You can't tell people what it was like beforehand. But right. um, so when I was a kid, I was, so I would have started playing basketball when I was like nine through to 16. Right. Um, and all that time, Jordan was the man. And I don't even know how I came across Jordan, whether it was a kid at school or whatever, but, you know, you couldn't watch NBA on TV here in Australia. It wasn't a thing. You would just yeah. catch it in the highlights. Yep. The sports um, package at the end of news or whatever. Yep, yep, or basketball cards. Yeah, yeah. We were oh, very, yeah, I remember that, yep. We were very lucky in Perth that we had Luke Longley playing for the Bulls. Okay. Yep. So we had some kind of – and I actually did a, a sports camp with his brother who was oh, playing wow. for the local team. So I got to have a good chat. But, but you know, you didn't have the internet where you could, you know – watch all the games and, and, and find out what was happening. I had no fucking idea about that. I didn't know that they won six titles till I was an adult. Oh, years, wow. You know what I mean? Right, and he right. was my all-time sports hero. Right. Um, so to watch that now was like it was fucking just one of the coolest things as a childhood hero. Yep. I didn't know all this shit yep. and it was so great. Um, so what um, – I'll, I'll make that transition back to film. Um yep. So you're back here now. What's the play? What's the move? It's interesting. It's super interesting times, um, and I hope that this isn't disappointing. But I, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it was a full on and intense. You're taking uh, the time out. Yeah, yeah. And weirdly enough, I'm finding it now that I'm stepping slowly back into the, my creative process, and my process is super collaborative all the time. Actually, right. yeah. I think it's part of how I access my artistry is through other people. Mm-hmm. But I needed to take a moment to occupy my hands and mm-hmm. not my mind mm-hmm. in order to become more creative, right? So, you know, you know, as a director, my job is to really help artists, whether they are on set in front of the camera or behind or, you know, technical people or, or, or writers, my what I do is that I help take the greatness out of them and mm-hmm. take that little bit of their greatness, match it with a bit of mine and the next person and so on. And we formulate, we discover something super cool. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can make a film without that, right? <coughs> no, it's you just, really it, can't. You It'll can't. just be boring. It's yeah. fucking boring. It'll, you know, yeah. I thought, look, look, Quentin Tarantino, obviously my number one film of all time is on par, Pulp Fiction and the Matrix. Yep. But, you know, his comment when he won that thing, you know, everyone talks about, who they discussed their project with, I just did it all on my own. Yeah. And I was like, oh, come on, man. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, it's bullshit. You know, yeah, you got a great – obviously you're an incredible writer, an incredible director, but your guys go out there and say those words and not 100%. everyone can say the words the way that they said the words. Yeah. It's a collaboration, buddy. Yeah. You know what it is? I think it's there's this uh, myth about – and it comes out of 1950s Hollywood culture, uh, the golden age of cinema, um, of – 
idolizing the director and it's got to do with right. sort of you know um privilege male privilege white privilege did you the, watch hollywood did, i know i haven't watched oh, it oh you'll love it oh yeah. really yeah, 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 yeah okay exactly i'm, I'm looking, about that. is it yeah, okay yeah, yeah. wow well. <laughs> um but you know that whole idea of like the the artistry and the muse is one person's mm-hmm. and they are the champion or whatever no that's bullshit yeah, it's and bullshit. it's an old way of thinking yeah 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 that's the same with i was um a high fashion photographer for about 7 awesome. years right. and that still exists in the fashion world and i don't know that how that will transition that the the high profile high fashion photographer or, or designer is god yeah right you know and and i've always said that fucking photographer i mean he's got obviously or she's got to be great like annie Leibovitz with there's definitely tweaking and and what have you but that really only exists for the people that need it when when you're that high profile you're shooting pros right and it's their genetic legacy or their energy or whatever that you're just a spectator on oh wow you really really are like it's like, like you say, like, well, film is different because the writing is there and, and, and the direction really is needed. But when you're just doing a portrait, I've always said this, if you had Kate Moss in her prime against a grey background with just the fucking sun trickling in, you could almost hand a, an iPhone to uh-huh. anyone and they would get a, di- a dynamite shot because uh-huh. it's she is the one that is carrying that thing through. Um that of course doesn't exist for everyone, but but the high profile, high high fashion photographers think that they are so fucking amazing. And right. I'm like, you're amazing, you're great, but you don't have anything without them, right? You know, and you put someone out there, you, you this is a terrible thing to say, but you can't polish a turd, right? Like, <laughs> if, yeah, if you're you not could. photogenic, you're not photogenic. Right. You could be amazing in real life, but if you don't have that thing that happens in front of a camera. I don't care who you are. It's it's you're you're probably not going to get it, right? Uh, you know. So um, I'm glad that that is like you said before is pulling away from that idea in in film where it really really is it, uh, a sum of all of its parts. Right. You know what I mean? Like um, you can't have a good film without great writing. You can't have a, a you know a, the one that gets missed in the lower tier of things is great sound. Oh yeah. Absolutely. You know, you need all of those things to be great. Why are sound men and women so grouchy though? That's because they're doing fucking this all day long, and their arms are burning. I'm man. just joking. I'm just joking. I'm, I'm a man at you sound people. I'm just playing. <laughs> and I, I, I admire what they do. Yeah, of course. Fuck that of for course. a job. Yeah, I that's mean, hectic. and and I'm reasonably fit, but right. my fucking my shoulders would be dying. I'm like, you know what? I need a. I'm going to change. Can I do Can I just like get coffees or something? Um, I reckon this is probably a a good spot to, to segue because you've got probably about halfway, half an hour left. So the reason, not the reason, the only reason you're here, but the one of the reasons why Anthony put us together and we chatted about this off camera. So for those of you listening, I'm not about to spring a film on Scottness here, (laughs) but about 18 months ago, I started writing a film um, about an anti-poaching unit in South Africa in the Kruger National Park. I was discussing it with a a colleague of mine who was in Afghanistan and he was going to go to Africa to become an anti-poacher. And just at that time there was a lot of money in it through the South African government and then um, a few things happened like um, Obama banning the importation of trophies, so a lot of money dried up in the parks, and so that pay 
was decimated. Um, so he decided to come home and become a real estate agent. But uh, we were talking about it. I said, that's an interesting film there. Um, and then as I dug a little deeper, I found out that they could directly correlate the the like thousand percent increase in rhino deaths from like 72 a year to about 1100 in 2007 2008 oh it might have been Did you say 70 a year to about 1100 yes wow. yeah to a vietnamese um, politician who claimed that he'd cured his cancer with rhino horn wow. just like that they went from um you know let's just say hundred dollars a gram or whatever it is or a hundred dollars a horn it's more than that but it wasn't a lot to sixty five thousand dollars right like and bang just like that has been a fucking bloodbath out there ever since and i sort of thought well that i mean i'd heard about anti-poaching units who now have a license to shoot and kill and arrest and detain and interrogate um there's a film there so Yesterday, Anthony and I put together a pitch deck and he said, well, I know a filmmaker in South Africa who may or may not, this may or may not be his brand, but I can connect you to. Sure. We're connected now. What's I up? have this pitch deck here. Oh, oh look at this. Okay. <laughs> so this, so, and, and I did explain this to you before, but this is the first time this has happened on the podcast where there's a, there's, there's an objective along with the conversation to potentially down the road work together. It's a sure. big part of the podcast and it's what I really hope for a number of people who come on here that producers are listening or directors are listening and go, geez, that script that that guy or girl was talking about and it just scrolls up is really, really great. Okay, so I'll read the, is this the log line? Yeah. In order to save her family from extinction, a South African ranger must recruit the help of a wayward soldier, but the cost of victory is high and innocent lives are lost. Lookbook is dope. Uh, treatment. You don't have to read out the whole yeah, treatment. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. Might want to bore everyone to tears, but <laughs> so um, I'll, I'll give you five to. Sure. I'm just, I'm just having a quick look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's interesting. It's interesting, Josh. What's your, you know, what's your takeout in 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 wanting to make this project? You know, what is it that you that you ultimately want to achieve right. or say? Yeah, the 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 one of the things that I found in my research um, is it's it's twofold. The sure. ultimate objective is obviously is to is to shine a light on what's happening because a lot of people don't realize just how fucking bad it is. You know, mm. they know that that rhinos are always you know had a sort of very tenuous balance and what have you and anything great like that 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 um poaching exists and hunting exists but no one realizes that if nothing happens if they don't stop this within eight years they'll be gone Mm. completely um and what happens is is if you jump online you will see a shit ton of graphic material and a couple of great documentaries, and there's there's lots of campaigns, but it's hard hitting, which it should be, but often documentaries preach to the converted. You know what I mean? Like um, my my wife is a vegan and a massive animal lover. There's no way she's going to watch that documentary because it's just too hard, mm. and it's not in people's purview. And there isn't a film at all. There have been talk about films, but that has been made that that is talking about this particular issue right now with the, what I would like to do is to dress it up and wrap it 
with all that cinematic um, magic, right? So there's a love story involved and the, the, the um, Thomas, the character, uh, the, the soldier who, who comes over to Africa, um, rescues a baby rhino and they form a bond and that's what compels him to stay and then he gets entrenched in the unit and ultimately he becomes a really integral part. But it's Rian, who's a mixed-race South African woman who becomes the leader of that, that um, anti-poaching unit and, and they end up taking the fight to Vietnam off the books. And that's originally where the film started. I said, why doesn't someone just go and take this dude out, you know, who's propagating all of this, this nonsense? So the, the ultimate objective is the people that, that, that the masses go and see a great film and they are educated about this thing whilst seeing it. Not because you can get more people to see a dramatic action film than you can a documentary. Right. And hopefully through collective consciousness, if the film's a real success, even the people in Asia who aren't a part of, you know, wanting rhinos horns as, as you know, something to get their dick hard or, or deal with a hangover or fucking a trophy are going, well, this ain't right, you right. know. Years ago there was a book written called The Twelve, the 100th Monkey Syndrome. It was in the 80s mm-hmm. and it was about um, the, the objective of the book was to try and stop nuclear war between Russia and America. Right. And they were working on the basis of collective consciousness and they derived that science from an island somewhere, I right. forget where it was, where, and this is very quick, cool. um, there was an island full of monkeys, no human influence or what have you, and uh, they uh, re- were researching them or watching them and they found out they observed them open up a new kind of nut or something like that or a fruit through a means of dropping it from a great height. Sure. Then they had started observing the same um fruit or whatever happening all around the world with no exposure to these monkeys at all. And then they sort of linked that and said, well, there must be this thing that people have suspected for, for a long time, that if enough minds are thinking about something at the same time, it will influence the people around you. And I think they would call it noetic science now as a very loose term. But that's the idea. If, if, if enough people can see this in, in a way that is palatable, um, uh, palatable for them, we can change this. Mm. Um, and so then to try and get this film as someone who's a first-time writer and wants to play Thomas, the, the character that you saw, it, it needs to be um, – I spoke to a friend of mine who's a filmmaker. She was on the podcast and I, and I gave her the original script and she said, the last thing the world needs is another white person trying to, sa- trying to save <laughs> Africa, right? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. That's been running through. I was like, shit, how am I going to, because this is exactly, yeah, yeah, go ahead. yeah, yeah. So that's why um, originally Thomas was the lead and we, we, we swung that around to make him support yeah. uh, as just as, as a go-to for support. Uh, but it is a re- very real thing that's happening there where ex-vets are coming over yeah. and just giving their time and their energies and, and risking their lives to try and change this thing. It, it, it needs to be an all-in effort to stop this. Um, but, yeah, so she's that, that's the last thing that the world needs. So this film needs to be made by Africans in Africa. Um, I just – I always said that when I became a professional artist that my objective was to ultimately somehow do something good. Yeah. My mother has lived and worked in East Timor for the last 15 years um, 
basically re-educating um, and nourishing all the mal- mal- malnourished children and their families. Mm-hmm. And she's done it hard and she's been through, you know, sort of domestic war there mm. and the whole bit and she was awarded the the uh, medal of honor of australia wow. for wow. it's not called medal of honor but it's something like that the right. order order of australia wow wow yeah that's amazing so i have a great like and i've been out there to document some of what she's done and 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 that was my first actually my first photographic job wow. was to go out to east timor and, and photograph what she was doing wow. i said i'm not a people guy like that i'm an animal guy I always known that and mm. i would love to be able to do something to help well, look, I think there are a couple of things to be said, um, Josh. First off, you know, I've been reading a lot about how, as a species, humanity has decimated mm. across the planet large mammals. Yeah. Hectically, mm. right? And the more people you have, the more of your large mammals are, are made extinct. Yeah, and know. it's gone worse, worse since COVID. Oh, has it? Oh, it's I crazy out there oh, now. Wow. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. So that's the first thing, right? Yeah. The second thing is the identity of Africans to the rhino specifically. I mean, you might not be aware, but a lot of African families identify and use as totem different species of animal to kind of talk about what their, their heritage or their lineage might be. Uh, right. So you might have, the, there's a great Olympic um, long jumper from South Africa. And his name escapes me right now. Um, but Mukwena is his name. And Mukwena means uh, crocodile. Right. And so there were memes that came out when he, I think he won bronze or silver at one of the Olympics when he won. Uh, there were memes coming out about him jumping over crocodile uh, open mouths, right? Because that's how he does. <laughs> uh, but the rhino specifically is very powerful in in this in this identification for Africans. In the post uh in the pre in the pre I or the post Iron Age, the Bronze Age, in Sub-Saharan Africa was a kingdom called the Great Kingdom of Mapungubwe. In the Great Kingdom of Mapungubwe was massive trade between well evidence of massive trade between East Asia and Southern Africa mm-hmm. that predates, it was part of um, when uh, the, Ch- the Chinese emperor was bringing ships oh, across. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and so you find uh, like old bracelets, Chinese bracelets, Chinese porcelain, um, gold statuettes, you know, evidence in the kingdom of, you know, how the royalty was buried and so forth. Um, so they've tried very hard to to, to bury that evidence here that it happened. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. There's Aboriginal oh, caves yep. full of paintings yep. of Chinese people. And, oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, 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 That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, and it predates, of course, European mm. uh, expansion. Totally. Colonialism. It's like 1081, so yep, it's in there. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Wow, so interesting. Uh, but amongst those artifacts found, by the way, this place in Mapungubwe was hidden for like 200, 300, I don't know how many hundred years. Wow. Um, and the only reason, so how it was hidden was that locals in the area believed that it was um, haunted, right? Okay, right. And the only way to get up to Mapungubwe, which is like on, there's a plateau on, you know, above a, a valley um, and a really steep incline to get mm-hmm. up. And you can only get up there by, you know, a route that is very precarious. Right. And for a long time, a tree had been deliberately, a large tree had been deliberately placed over this route 
uh, in order to prevent people getting up there. <laughs> and as a result of some deaths, you know, of when this um, kingdom um, was like decimated mm-hmm. for some reason we don't know, uh, people have always believed that it's haunted. Anyway. So finally they find this is a long run. Yeah, this is great. This is great. Man, this is so awesome. So finally they find uh, There's a film there too. Yeah, there is. There is. Uh finally in the early the turn of the, the, the last century, a couple of uh, professors from my alma mater, Wits University, um, heard about this local legend and they were like, yo, let's go and check out what's going on. They happen to be ba- to be white, but that's a different story. Um, and they took some local um tribesperson and he showed them you know what was at the top they got mm. missing with some money and when they got up there they found these ancient Chinese artifacts the local artifacts they found masses and masses of gold because obviously South Africa massive gold mm-hmm. and a golden rhino right statuette now this golden rhino has become you're talking about your mother who won the Order of Australia the Golden Rhino. I think it's the Order of the Golden Rhino. Oh, okay. Or the Order of Mapungubwe right. is the highest um, level that a civilian can achieve in South Africa. <clears throat> okay, long story short, I think there's a lot of potential in this film project. Um, I think the content is there. I think absolutely your friend is 100% correct. We are no longer as Africans wanting to allow ourselves to be perceived as needing help. Mm-hmm. We are completely empowered. Right. We have got complete agency and we have got the skill and know-how um, and the attitude to speak about our own stories. And mm-hmm. we're taking that space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Having said that though, of course, there is absolute power in collaboration. So I think, yeah, it's definitely something that I'm interested in. Great. Let's make something. <laughs> yeah, because okay, from my perspective, you know, it, all I want to do is, is all that I have done is, is get this to a place where I can hand it to the right person and go, okay, you take it from here. I'm, I'm going to be like, for me, the only sort of real, and this is, obviously for selfish reasons because I'm an actor trying to break through, is that I get to play a character in my film. It doesn't have sure. to be the lead. If someone sure. says, hey, man, Chris Hemsworth has just put his hand up. Sure. Cool. You know, yeah. I'll, I'll be down here. That's fine. Yeah. But, but I want to I hand it to the, um, the right crew of African people. Um, the, this uh, producer that I've been talking with, she said the exact same thing. We said, we have to take this to Netflix in Africa or someone like that who are really trying to invest a ton of money into um, African content. Don't try it. Like it had never been a plan to try and make it here or, or anything like that. And, and also in terms of writing, I want, like when I first started writing this, I got a South African, two South African women to come and sit with me and just go over some of the dialogue and some of the things that were being said and give the female character a much more of a voice that I could ever fucking do. Right. It's, it's not up to like, do you know what I mean? I don't want to be that guy who's, who's writing about shit that he doesn't know, you know, I would like to just, it will be whack. I mean, I think, and it's, totally. and it's really important that we just touch on that. Yeah. You know, the reason why is so that ultimately excellence is the end result. Yeah. Because if you've got access to a lived experience and you're writing about something, you know, then it's ultimately going to be better than if you're kind of sitting there being like, Oh Scott, I'm talking about whatever it is. And yeah, I'm yeah, talking yeah. bullshit. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 So totally. ultimately the, the end is, is, is a better product. Yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I had a, a filmmaker on here last night actually and we were talking about that um in terms of writing what you know or just being really creative and writing fiction and what have you and i said look i know how much 
my my like I just said, my objective has always been to try and help in right. in this field. So that's what I know. Sure. So I'm going to write to the best of my ability and research like I would for anything as an actor. Get it on the page, get it fine tuned, and then give it that extra nudge with the people that do. But what I do know is that I'm heavily emotionally invested in this as an actor. Uh-huh. So I mean, countless times writing this. And not to say that I'm writing my own words and God, that's good, Josh. <laughs> and bawling. But 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 the content is right. and, and the research and the visuals that I've seen in order to to get this far um is heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. And I would keep driving this home for as long as I can. Like uh, it has to be made. Has to, sure. this film isn't hasn't been made by anyone. I don't care who makes it. Mm-hmm. It's gotta be made though. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um it's fucking I can't imagine a world without them in it and to think that they will be eight years and they could be gone is fucked. I was driving through and this only happens in Africa and it's like almost like, you know, when people say, oh yeah, I was riding my kangaroo to work when people ask about Australia. But I was legitimately legitimately driving through an area uh, to go to a job and I was on a dirt road and it was some like military installation. And because of the dirt road and I was in a sprightly little Hyundai, I was going fast and I had the, yeah, I had the, the dust going behind me and I was like, oh shit, this is so cool. And I was like taking the corners a little bit quick and I turn around this one, I come around this one corner and in the middle of the road is a rhino, a female, large, and she's like standing, I'm like dead brakes, <laughs> you know, screeching to a halt. <laughs> yeah. I'm sliding, I'm, I'm sliding, sliding, I'm sliding, sliding and there's a rhino. <laughs> Um, and off to the to the side in the bushes was a baby, and I was oh. like, "Wow, like that is an image in my life." And I remember it was like sunset. I was going to this job, and I was like, "Fuck, I'm doing so much. I've got to get there. I've got to get there." And then, boom! In the middle of the road is a rhino, um, and I was like, "Man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna remember this for the rest of my life." It would be so sad if you don't another get to person see that again. Yeah, yeah, another person doesn't have an opportunity like that. Yeah. One thing to note, though, uh, Josh is oftentimes people have a tendency to put on a pedestal uh, our about our biodiversity in Africa, right? Um, and it's challenging because biodiversity, okay, it's challenging because human beings have over the last 400 years or 500 or 600 years removed ourselves from the biodiversity conversation. Mm-hmm. We are the we are the thing. It's biodiversity over there and then us as humans and our civilization. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a that's a that's false. Biodiversity is the relationship between animals and human beings. Human beings are part of the broader, you know, scale, scope of of life on the planet. And I think there's this tendency, especially for non-Africans, to want to hold on a pedestal animals themselves without how they relate to human beings. That's what's so powerful about your mm-hmm. project is that it, if it does it correctly, can bring the, the biodiversity through rhinos and other associated species and human beings, the human story, tragedy, hero, heroic journey, bring that all together. And then what will happen if it's done correctly is that it will speak to humanity more broadly. Nkwame Nkurma um, said, Africa is for it's not, it's not about whether you were born in Africa, but whether Africa was born in you. My brother, I think there's part of Africa that has been born in you. What that means is that Africa is not only for Africans. Africa is for us all. Right. Obviously, humanity. Obviously, yeah, it started there. Humanity, you know, we start there. Yeah. So 
My friend yeah. Simone, who's South yeah, yeah. African, when she read it, she was she she got to me straight away. And this isn't I'm just tying it into yeah. what you said. She yeah. said, "Have you have you spent time there? Have you yeah. been there?" I said, "I've only been to Cape Town for three days, right. but it ever since yeah. I mean, lots of people feel that connection. I think, but but for me, it's it was yeah." And she said, "Well, you you're writing this place like you've been there, right? Wow. So That's that I'm was excited to that read. was nice, like to yeah. hear because." Once again, I want to be that asshole from across the sea yeah. who's writing about yeah. something he doesn't fucking know about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and and the thing that really stuck with me and certainly I think as a f- <coughs> filmmaker or starting to become a filmmaker is duality of the conflict and mm. not just a straight-up villain. And so your poachers are farmers. And actually I have Anthony to thank for this. I've said this many times Um as poachers, if you're on the fucking bread line and you don't know if you're going to make it till tomorrow in terms of money, food, shelter for your family and you've got five kids or whatever and a, and a guy comes and taps on your shoulder and says, listen, mate, here's a gun and $60,000 if you go and get me a horn and your kids can go to school and they can have clothes and they can do all these things, what are you going to do? Man. Right, and I said that to Anthony. He said, "Mate, I would do terrible things to protect yeah. my child." And it's and it's and it's and that's that's <clears throat> that's powerful and tragic, and even more nuanced. Right, in an African context, and I speak as a South African, in a South African context, you ca- can you imagine the disappointment post liberation, twenty two or twenty one years later, where your countrymen have now taken power, and you feel you are still on the outskirts of, of, of society and being catered for. And you feel like your agency has been taken away. And this in this situation, you can't even say, oh, it's a white government and I've got no access. Right. There is this, you know, possibility, presumptively, that you can get up into the higher echelons of power. But unfortunately, because of the way society is set up, you, you might not have that opportunity. So when you reach for that gun you are taking some of your agency back and saying, no, actually, you know what? I'm going to do something for my child and my family. Yeah. And I'm going to make sure that they get right. they get a piece of bread in there. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. But at the and, cost uh, of their of their country and their, their, the fauna of, and, and the thing that they hold so dear. As, especially, I, and especially if you identify and you, you know, rightfully in a South African context, can with the rhino as being your family totem. Mm. These are powerful concepts. Yeah, and there's some really because I was really fascinated to see just how deep the investigation or the strategy in order to stop this is going, which is really really great. And and looking at <coughs> former poachers who are now rangers. So what happened a lot actually was rangers lost their paycheck because all of the um, game parks dried up, mm-hmm. and then. Well, they knew the park so well and they still had to provide, so they became poachers. And talking to some of poachers who'd gone back to being rangers or were in prison or what have you, talking about the psychological journey from when they first did it to, you know, like vomiting after their first kill Mm. and and devastation and depression to then greed and being transformed by that. that, That's That's really nuts too because then you have – Someone who's institutionalized, and how yeah. do you turn them back? Wow, that's crazy. That's great. That's a yeah. nice bad guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or good guy, bad guy, bad guy, good guy. But there's there's this like crack team of, and I I don't know you know the the specific details, but there's a crack team of game rangers on the trans 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 frontier park. So the Kruger Park is like South Africa. Was 
Vetpour? Is it Vetpour? So Vetpour is where this is kind of loosely based on uh-huh. and that is, I think his name is Sean. Um, they're all uh, predominantly American, former Afghanistan, Iraq no. vets. No, these, oh, guys, okay. these guys are local South Africans. Oh, okay, right? so it might be so pro-track. I'm, I, I yeah. don't know. So these guys are like this crack team of um, game rangers who have got military training as well. Yep. And they are all local and they're oh, okay. just going yep. out at it and they are they see it as their, you know, um, their duty to protect the the, the biodiversity yep. in the in the park. And they're they're mean, right? And it's a yeah, it's a, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a um a bilateral uh something between Mozambique and South Africa. Oh, yeah. Right? Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, so, so they're, and they're killing it. It's, it's really good. It, unfortunately, in the Kruger National Park, you can't shoot unless fired upon. But yep. in Mozambique, you can straight oh, up. Wow. If someone's in the park and they've got a gun and or you can whatever they've got bush meat, you can just fire on them. Oh. And so you have ProTrack, which has like a 40-day boot camp. Okay. And you can basically sign on up and there's lots of locals who are doing this out of duty like they want to give back and it's just enough of a paycheck that they can provide and they work on a rotation they go through the fucking the shit to get that ticket to become a ranger and it's that's brutal and then you have up i want to say it's mozambique maybe it's even kenya an all-female Oh wow! Um, Anti poaching unit, That's and I think cool. they're called the Black Mumbers. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're actually in that pitch deck. We we used a picture from a National Geographic um, piece on them, and oh, they're wow. incredible too. So there's more and more and more. Vetpour is, um, you know, that they're quite well funded through like uh, Richard Branson and another guy who runs a group called Kamagawa, mm-hmm. um, and they are like elite special forces yes. dudes. Yeah, That's and they right. haven't. I think. If I'm correct, they haven't lost a rhino since they wow. hit the Kruger National Park. Wow. They're like, That's amazing. they're fucking insane. You know, I was, it's funny, you know, we're talking about rhinos. I was, you know, a couple of years ago when I moved to Melbourne and it's been only like five years or so. And I remember I was like, oh, the trams are so cool. And they had the, the stickers with the rhino. You yeah, know, yeah. You know, and I was this like, is shit. the same weight as 10 rhinos or yeah, whatever it is. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And at the time, numbers were falling really drastically in terms of rhino deaths right. um, in, in South Africa. And I'd worked on a, a project back in South Africa and I f- it was for the national broadcaster. And I was like, man, you know, I was just becoming aware of just how quickly we're losing numbers of rhinos. And it was getting really hectic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, a sh- uh, you know, shining a light on that through the people that find themselves, you know, in that situation and are doing good. And also, you know, like what are the circumstances that lead someone to, you know, turn for bad and then come good again, you know? And how, you know, how does that, you know, tell you a little bit about their humanity? I think that's cool stuff. I think that's rich uh, grounds and material for, for some story. So, yeah, let's keep talking. Yeah, great, great. Well, I reckon you've probably got to get running, don't you? What's yeah. your time? Uh, I am going on, yeah, that's it, half. It's half, half past. Perfect. Perfect. I think that's a good place to start. That's good, yeah. Good. Hey, man, I really, really appreciate you coming down. Yeah, man. Um, it's really, really great to meet you after sort of Anthony talking you up for eight months. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been a really, really great chat. I'm, yeah, I'm glad that it, 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 it went on all these, these great tangents. Yeah, yeah. yeah, definitely. Awesome, man. Cool Thanks stuff. so much. <laughs>